Okay, here we go. We're live now. Everybody, welcome to um, uh, In The Game, Qatar's first sports podcast. Today, unbelievable guest we got on the show. Unbelievable. And I'm so glad on a Saturday, um, Troy, that you've, you've managed to find us time to come in and share with us. Um, everybody, this is Troy Townsend for everybody. Please, Troy, can you introduce yourself? <laughs> um, first of all, absolute pleasure. And thank you for having me on, Steve. Um, just a quick introduction. So I work for football, English football's equality and inclusion campaign, uh, Kick It Out, um, predominantly fighting the good fight against racism. But obviously, you all have a forms of discrimination as well. Um, obviously, in this period of time, it's becoming more of an increased battle and increased challenge. But it's one that obviously we stand up and and really try and be at the forefront of change. And obviously, we'll speak about that a little bit later. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a, a man that has been in football for forever and a day, to be totally honest, whether it's through the coaching environment, non-league manager, setting up my own academy environment, um, and then being at Kick It Out for the last nine years. So I've had a bit of a journey. Um, no doubt we'll, un we'll unravel that a little bit here. But, yeah, really pleased to be talking to your listeners and viewers. Where, where does your, your story begin? It's like I know that your friend, um, your friend uh, Gerard Lammy, uh, yeah. introduced you. So where does yeah. your story begin? What was, it, what was it for you? Can you remember when you started getting involved in sport? At what age? It was as young as I can remember. You know, it was... Um, loving the game, loving the ball, you know, appreciating the ball and then having that desire to want to be a professional footballer. I wanted it to be my career, you know, and my whole life from, well, five, four was just about football. It was, you know, we didn't have much at home. There wasn't any great prospects of me being any kind of superstar in any other way. And I thought, always thought that football was the channel that I would go down. Um, but from a playing perspective, to be honest, and I was lauded as a youngster. Um, I was appreciated as a youngster. I had all the the comments about how I would make it as a youngster. Um, and then suffered two. I was released twice, once from Millwall, once by Crystal Palace. And uh, the story takes a dark turn then because um, I fell out of love with the game for a little while. And I also suffered mentally a little bit from it um, for a good period of time. Started going around with the wrong people just so that I could feel a little bit of love and warmth, to be honest. I mean, they were friends, but they were friends that were up to no good, you know, and um, it kind of guides your life. You can either go one route or another route. And someone said to me the other day, we shouldn't only think that we can be, should be either footballers or drug dealers. But uh, I resonate with the people that say there are only two choices in their life because at the time it did seem like that. And when you're rejected from football, you feel worthless you feel like you have no value and you you, you just, I, I don't know, it's, it's quite a, particularly back in those days, a, a situation that leaves you empty, you know, and I didn't have the support system in terms of my family and the people around me to, to guide me back up and believe about my, you know, in my dreams that I could play professionally. So the dream ended very early. Um, but again, football was the thing that drugged, you know, dragged me out of the mire as such and I started coaching. I took my first coaching badge as a 19-year-old and then started believing that, you know, young people were listening to my voice from a coaching aspect. And I kind of knew the game and also knew that a lot of the people under me were also in, in a similar situation to me in terms of lack of parental support um, and people questioning their ability when their ability is the one that takes them, you know, to the platform. Um, and then you start getting judged on that. So, in a short answer to your question, Steve, it's been from as far as back as I can remember. And I've always loved the game, um, you know, from a playing perspective. And then you get the, the, the downsides, but you always believe that you can kind of achieve in the game. So it's funny how it's worked out that I've, you know, come almost full circle and are now, you know, in a sense, in an administrative position within football. Uh <laughs> What has made you and who influenced you at those times? What, are, what were the biggest influences? In, and you look back on it and you go, oh, my God, th those were the changes. Those were the changes in my life. Absolutely no one. I didn't have a role model. My role models were the per people that I saw on my TV screen. You know, the Cyril Regis's, the Laurie Cunninghams, people like that. They were the people that were my role models. 
but they were as far away from me as possible. You know, at that stage, you looked at footballers and thought you'd never be able to touch them or get near them. Um, I suppose being threatened, my life being threatened was the thing that changed me. Um, someone threatening to glass me, um, someone threatening to uh, shoot me um, was probably the thing that changed my life around. You know, it's because really and truthfully, if I'd sticked, stayed on that route, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. So it's not a role model as such. It's a period of time where I kind of had to get out for my own good, you know, and for my own sake. And, and luckily I did that. And, and with, the, with those things, you, I know that, especially with your son, you've now become that role model. You've, you've probably, you've probably now looking at it in a totally different way. So when you got into the coaching, you were able to, to start your journey, right? So how did that feel? Uh, you know what? It's a wonderful thing to give back. I'm not even sure I can describe the feeling as much as what I should do or give it justice, but it is just an absolutely wonderful feeling to give back to to young people. I see a lot of myself in the young people that I was coaching at the time. And when I say young people, we're talking about nine, tens, 11 year olds when I first started my coaching journey. Um, and it, it brings me a massive sense of pride as well, you know, that I can influence their lives, that I can help them with the difficult times because uh, we're not just coaches. We're, if, you're, if you're fully invested in this, we're not just coaches. You know, so many young players have said, you know, my father doesn't talk to me in a way that you do or appreciate me or my dad is not around, you know, or I've got difficulties at home and I've got no one to speak to. And that's, it's not a burden. It's a massive responsibility for a coach, but it's a responsibility that I'll be honest, I absolutely loved. And I loved helping people believe in their dreams or achieve things where other people were putting them down because I resonated so much with that. So, uh, you know, my coaching and development of my own football academies was not just a football was just a drop in the ocean to everything else that, um, that was happening in the environment. And I'm so proud to say that from my first academy or from both my academies, I set up two academies, the players still talk to each other now and they're in their mid thirties you know, and they're, and they're godparents and they're best men and they're, you know, it's just, it, it's beautiful to see. And when we do finally catch up, which is not very often, you know, we'll, we'll go for a drink. And I do feel like the proud parent that that's, you know, got all these, his, his children in front of him, you know, and because I played a massive part in their journey, you know, as human beings. And that's not just me saying that, that's the messages that I've got from them in the past, you know. Hey, listen, you wouldn't be doing the job now if, if you didn't care. If that, the job that you do now, if you didn't care, you, you, wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be ideal for it. It, it, it just yeah. wouldn't, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. I, I, I like the way, again, the, the one thing with, with Gerald last week, his, what an incredible young man that, that's come a bit, bit like yourself, the story. Um, he did have people around him, and, there, and I'm sure there was people like yourself that was there that, that helped help the likes of when he had his tough times and he was laying in his hospital bed and said, I've got to do something with my life. Um, yeah. And for him to then all of a turn it around and, and turn something into his life that he's the, the, the head coach at um, Juventus Academy in Oman, it's just unbelievable. And that's what you're doing. That's, that's did he, tell you, did he tell you the story though, Steve, that I released him as a footballer? Did he tell you that? No, no, no. Come on, tell us. <laughs> well, I, I joined um, Leighton Football Club, which is a semi-professional football club here in England. Um, and I was the under-18s coach. So I'd, I'd, I'd done my academies and they, they kind of identified that they wanted me to develop their youth system. And they had a youth system in place. So I basically brought all my players over from my academy into theirs. And we had a in-house game, you know, so my team basically against their team. And it really was to see who on their team could actually match up to my squad so that I could bring them in because the chairman said, you know, I still want to keep the, the players that we had from last year. I think I kept about two. Um, and um, I mean, I'm bigging myself up a bit here. My team was of such a quality and had basically won so much over the 10 years that we were together that moving into this environment, you had to be some player to... Uh, to, you know, to even register on the Richter scale almost. So, and, and, and Gerald didn't make the cut, which he, he keeps reminding me of um, on a number of occasions. You know, you, 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 you released me, you did, you know. And, but I think he's, you know, we've, we've remained friends. Obviously, we lost touch for a while, but we've remained friends and I've been supportive towards his journey as well, you know, and he's, he's an incredible young man. 
you know, and just knowing what he's been through and how he's come through the other side, like I said, I resonate so much with, with him and, and others like him because they are inspirations to me as well. And they are such an inspiration. And I think that's the biggest reason why we've got this podcast. Everybody, it, when we say we're Qatar's first sports podcast, it, 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 yeah, we're not bringing news. We're bringing stories of individuals yeah. that are doing everything they can to just try to break through so that they can come on and tell their story and to inspire others because these stories are so important that we do try to put those out there so that we can help others because that's like the only way that we're going to progress, right? Exactly. Um, so, exactly. so I'm, I'm really proud of what we're doing because we're, 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 we're helping others. We're, we're doing others. Brilliant. And to get people like you on the show and to give your, your experience is brilliant. I, I, I just, this morning, I went through your Twitter account um, because I wanted to do some, I just wanted to do some research. I'm new at this. Somebody looked up to me and said, would you like to do a podcast? And it was like a year ago now. And I'm like, mm, really? A podcast? <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah, let's have a go. So, and I don't do any research. Normally with guests, I don't do any research because I want to know their story. But you was a yeah. little bit different because I didn't want to make any stupid mistakes. So I, I took a look. I want to come up to your, your profile, okay? And it says, um, how big was Steve Brown in your life? And who is Steve Brown? Wow. Um, Steve, we, we're business partners. Um, so we had 15 years developing our own sports development company called Ultimate Sports. Um, we changed our name to Supreme Sports after that. Um, he's an ex-professional footballer. Um, he, listen, I've got a brother. We don't have a we don't have a very good relationship. And Steve was that person. He was the person that stepped in and up to that mantle. He, I, I, I listen. When we started our business together, because our our, our wives know each other, um, I kind of said to him, I didn't used to like you. Um, because we used to play football together uh, or against each other, never together. And he was the classic silky winger, you know, with all the tricks, all the... Uh, the I used to take the mick out of the defenders and every time we played together, it would get a little bit heated against each other. It would get a little bit heated because the defenders on my team just wanted to boot him up in the air, you know, and half the time <laughs> they couldn't get near him. So he was a little bit of a cheeky so-and-so, you know, and it came across in his football, but... Um, absolutely unbelievable human being so we we joined forces um in the local area in london we covered i don't know about six seven boroughs and providing sports provision you know to young people you know giving them the opportunity no matter what sport it was to to dream big you know and we had that same vision and same goal about helping young people um, at the same time, we were both non-league football managers. So it's funny how the, the, the kind of journey was very similar. We were both non-league football managers. So he was manager at Slough. I got into the non-league game at Cheson. Um And, you know, we obviously we work more than nine to five, Monday to Friday. And then we're looking for each other's results on a Saturday, you know, making sure that he'd done well and I'd done well. Um, and that, that was, listen, that was, we were as close as any any partnership people can ever be i cannot tell you how close we are were to the point where you know uh, you know both our, our our missus would say you've got the same characteristics you you've got the same mannerisms you do things and say things exactly the same and sometimes that can be a clash you know but it just absolutely wasn't listen we had our fallouts as you would do um but we knew how to overcome them and i think just because our vision was so in line, he was the person, I'm going to be honest, he was the person I'd been looking for. So, so when you spoke about role models to start with, Steve, he was the person I was looking for for so often. Um, tragedy struck both of us. And that's probably the thing that made us even more um, closer together. I, I lost my son at 18. Um, he came to play, he got released from AFC Wimbledon. It was a, a, non, a, a league football team here. Um, and we were on our way to a game. He was playing for me at non-league level. It was snowing. The car lost control. Um, and he was the only one out of four that lost his life. Um, and honestly, without Steve, I know I've said this before, but without Steve at that period, again, um, you know, I was suicidal. I was... I wanted to give up the football. I didn't want to be around people. And Steve did absolutely everything for me, you know. And he... 
just I, I can't say enough words for what he did at that period of time and how he dragged me out of the situation that I was in mentally um, and how my heart was absolutely broken. Um, and he was everything. He literally was everything to the funeral, to just nights where he'd say, come on, let's go for a drive and for fresh air and, and, and just some, you know, thinking space and the business, you know, kept the business afloat. And honestly, I, Steve, I, I, I can't tell you enough about the guy and I don't think I'd do him enough plaudits. Cut a long story short, because it is a long story. He lost his his brother, his his dad, who was such an inspiration to him. Um, and so the, the, the feelings of support were replicated, although I found it very difficult because then any loved one that was lost to someone, uh, it took me back into a space that was very, very dark, you know. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, he lost his life three years ago um, through cancer. Um, and this funny, like charismatic, beautiful looking individual was no more. You know, he, he, he was gone. He's not gone in spirit, but he was gone in terms of, you know, visibly, visibly being able to see him. He was the person that during these times when when life was tough at kick it out. Um, again, he was my inspiration because I left the business in the end, started working for Kick It Out, had some really, really tough days, no doubt we'll speak about them, but he would ring me up and just be Steve and it would take all of the crap away, you know, he couldn't, he, he, would, he could speak for England, but he had the driest amount of jokes, his banter was awful, but it was brilliant, you know, it took me out of, of, of whatever I was in. So, you know, his passing on New Year's Day, um, was again something that really, really affected me and something that I had to get counselling for. I never had counselling when I lost my son, Kurt, but I had to get counselling for Steve, although it didn't go very well and it brought up too many memories, but at least I tried, you know. But honestly, in a nutshell, man to man, he was everything to me and I'd like to think that I was everything to him as well. Troy, I'm so I'm, I'm kind of, and again, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm sorry if I brought something up there, but, but it no. was, it was, it, I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us. It, it's kind of um, it's humbling that you shared it with. I lost my my uh, youngest sister in a car accident, and and for me, I I I understand exactly how you deal with it because mm -hmm. I I don't think it, she's she's with me in spirit. I think she's in Australia to be quite honest with you. It's the way I I, I put it into into a different way. Um, yeah. Is it she's not there? She's not uh, she's not there. She's not she's mm. not she's with us. You know. So that's how I do. Thanks, honestly. Thanks for sharing that with us. You, I, I'm going to take you on now because it's kind of um, what what happened with with um with how you went to kick it out? How how did that all come into your into your area? How did how did that, that all evolve? Who knocked your door? <laughs> no one knocked my door. Um, to be honest with you, I'll I'll end my previous journey. Um, having been at a, a particular school for six years and helped develop that school from a non-participating sporting team to champions right across the board, football, cricket, athletics, uh, basketball, you name it. We, we'd gone from a, a joke school. What, by, the, by the time I arrived, a school with no identity, no kit, young people who just turned up to, to PE with jeans on, to a school that got a new kit, that had a badge, that had a logo, had identity, and the young people felt proud. Um, and I have to respect my head teacher at the time was the one that helped me flourish in that. Anything that I wanted to turn that school around, he gave me, you know, because sport has a wonderful thing for young people and it could make them grow in confidence and you feel them grow, you know, so believe that belief is unbelievable. He left, another head teacher came in, uh, sport PE was not the focus. It was getting too much prominence. It was helping the way I see it. And I don't care what people say. It was helping young people too much. I couldn't understand that. Um, you know, and, and, and one of the things she said to me was, you know, I'm going to stop the PE sessions because the young children need to learn to read and write. Um, and they were nine and 10 years old. And I was saying, well, if they can't read and write now, you better let them have sport because it will be the thing that escalates them um, to a platform, you know. But so I although we still had the business, I left the school. Well, I was forced out of the school between me and you and your listeners. Um, and I was just in a, in a period where I could go into another school and work because of the business allowed me to, but it also dented my appetite for it as well. I think, you know, I, I'd had a journey. 
what I'd like to class as a, what people tell me a successful journey and it the way it ended dented my appetite so although the business was still running I was going into schools you know one school there one school there and not enjoying it and it had nothing to do with the children by the way it was just my confidence had been dented and this is what I mean about confidence your confidence is dented by an individual who wants to be apparently the bigger person wants to be the one that douses your flame and stuff like that so I volunteered for kick it out so I went to an event uh, we used to have a David Beckham Academy here in London um, and they were hosting an event there and it was a coaching event and obviously I'm a coach as well so I thought you know I'll go along I've never really done things like that before um, and Michael Emanalo, the ex-Chelsea uh, technical director, was there and we struck up a conversation and was talking about my coaching journey. And, and then all of a sudden I thought, I can influence people in a different way now. You know, it wasn't just about the influence of young people within uh, an educational environment, but maybe through sport. So I went away from there a little bit, in, you know, I was a little bit felt good about myself, which was the first time for a while. Um, and then an opportunity came up to volunteer. Uh, they, they kick it out, sent me an email, volunteer. I filled it out, didn't really expect anything. Bam, get an interview to volunteer. Um, and I was into my 40s. I was into my 40s. Um, and I went and volunteered. I didn't tell them much about my background, who I was, the father of and stuff like that. I just wanted to impress on them that I was a hard worker. I knew football. I have certain characteristics that would help benefit the organization i love mentoring and i love support and i love education so three months of a non-paying role which obviously can be quite tough turned into eight months of a non-playing role because i was doing so much and they kind of realized the quality of my work without having to pay you know um so i was doing that and then i approached the boss and just said i can't do this no more i can't work unpaid you know it's eight months and luckily, the person who I was helping on the mentoring side of, of what Kick It Out do, a guy called Earl Barrett, who's an ex-England international and used to play for Manchester City, he always wanted to get a coaching role. And he finally got one at Stoke City. And he left literally the day after, or announced he was leaving, literally the day after I said to the boss, I can't do this no more. So it, I don't know, someone was looking after me. You know, someone was, and you know, when I say someone, Steve, you know what I mean? Someone was looking after me to make the shout that I did at that period of time for Earl to be handed a job at that period of time for the trustees of the board to say, actually, Troy has been doing this work. It's got to be easy just to elevate him into a position, a full-time position. So that's, it was by accident, but it wasn't by accident. If you believe in other things, you know, and, and I don't think I've ever believed in other things, but I've, been pretty blessed um you know out of adversity so i'm going to say that someone was looking over me someone believed that this was a right position for me um and i was going to give it my best shot and i've been there nine years now nearly nine years yeah i've, I've tried to give it my best shot at every possible moment there's been obviously difficult periods but yeah that was my entry into into the organization you know we talk about this person that was looking after you He's probably sitting back in his chair right now thinking, see, I had a good, <laughs> I knew what yeah. was going to come. I, Steve, yeah. honestly, I would never have believed that before. I, not spiritual, not, I don't go, I used to go to church, but football took over. Um, but I, I, honestly, I, I hear what you're saying and I really do believe that now and it's quirky and it's mad and people may think I'm crazy, but I honestly feel that I've got a son you know, on my right-hand side because he was right-footed and I've got my best mate on my left-hand side because he didn't care what foot he used. So, you know, it's that's that that's the way I see it. Yeah, brilliant. And and to this, because we, we did mention it briefly before you come on the show, we're talking about um, Kick It Out. That's just taken a whole new... You've been working so hard and it's it, it's without a shadow of a doubt. And, and, and as you said, you came to it relatively, I won't say late, 40 years old, but then you threw your 40 plus. I, I, 40 plus. Okay. <laughs> and then Say you, no more. Then you threw your whole self into it. And now look at what it's, it's not a thank. It's, sometimes it's a thankless job what you're trying, what you're doing, but you're making a difference with so many different people. What do you have to go through on a daily basis? When people say it's a passion, first of all, it's not a passion. 
you know racism discrimination is not a passion i've been hurt by it i've been victimized by it i've been demeaned by it i've been you know dehumanized i've had the questions about the color of my skin you know that's not passion to challenge that is not passion Ch to challenge that is my right and i have a platform now that allows me that right on more days than not i deliver the education into the english football's academy environment so that's under nines all the way through to under 23s staff and parents i absolutely love the connection with the players like i do did when i was coaching love the connection with the parents that i can you know influence because being a parent of a professional footballer that's what you can do they're just starting their journey and i love the whole aspect of talking about racism and that may sound strange but to a group who are open-minded and to a group that want to learn and to a group that challenge me as well so when it's that kind of conversation a two-way conversation you know there's there's nothing better you know the conversations where you're banging your head against a brick wall and know that you're not helping you know the person on the other end doesn't want to be educated doesn't want to understand difference and and, and you know color of skin and stuff like that that's the battle I, I also work on the mentoring program, which is called Raise Your Game. Um, and that allows me to support people who want to work in the game. You know, anything apart from I can't give anybody a contract to go and play on the pitch. But I definitely can put them in touch with people that are working within the industry that may enable them to get jobs. You know, and again, it's predominantly for young people, predominantly for people from an underrepresented group, but not you know exclusive of anybody. And then, um, and then it's the crap stuff. The crap stuff is, you know, what we've seen around the world on football pitches, which is the, the racial abuse, you know, or the discrimination against players, against fans, on social media, online. And the reason why that's wearing and, and the thing that makes me tired and makes me feel that I'm not having an influence or makes me feel that actually my words mean nothing is because we've not moved on. We've, we've not moved on. We've said the same things over and over and over again. I'll do an interview and I'll criticise the industry and the industry just says, here he goes, talking again, criticising us. You know, the industry never turns around and looks at itself in the mirror. The industry doesn't really say, and I'm not saying that it doesn't, it does, but it doesn't do it at the top level. You know, the industry doesn't question itself. Why have we got so much lack of representation? I know we'll, we'll 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 decide to do something at the lower level or the middle level, but we won't touch management. We won't touch the decision makers. We won't touch the people that put the policies in. We won't touch the people who should be driving change, but they're not driving change. And that, for me, is a hierarchical thing that actually they don't they don't see it. They don't want that change, you know. And that's the battle that's the one you know the ones where players have been victimized on the first game of the season which is in august and we're now in in i can't remember the month june and there's still no resolution to their to their story so they have had to live with the victimization of being racially abused for nearly a year now with no end goal to their story you know and it's those things because i hear the stories i i see that the the crap that's written on social media i I witnessed the, the the negativity towards me as a black man standing up and talking in the manner that I do and expressing myself about the industry and what it needs to do to change. And there's a few like me, there's not many, but there's a few like me that will always take that stand and go, we're not having this anymore. But absolutely, our voices are doused, our voices are, are listened to, but not actioned on. So I'm fed up of talking now. I just want to see action. You know, because I've done the talking. If you, if anyone wants to do their research, they can see the points I've made. They can appreciate and understand where I'm coming from. It's now down to those big industry figures to, to apply the action to the conversation. And as yet, we've, we've never done it in football, not successfully, whether it's FIFA, whether it's UEFA, whether we dip back into the English football leagues and the FA. None of them have ever done it successfully right. So we may be in a moment of change now because of everything that's going on, obviously with Black Lives Matters and, and what's happened in the USA and now around the globe in terms of protests. But I always look at it with caution because I've been here before, you know, and it, it, listen, I've gone from the highs of talking about the education and, the uh, you know, very much the mentoring side of it to what absolutely are the lows, you know, and, and, 
that's why the job is so different. That's why I bang my head against the wall sometimes. And you can see the dents in my head for that. That's why I, I laud the people that do great work in this industry. And I don't care what background they're from because they understand it from all different perspectives. But that's why I'll always call out the people that can actually influence the game and maybe are sitting back and not doing it enough. Troy, you, you should be loaded. You, you're creating an absolute massive um, legacy. And I'll tell you why, because I, I, I said this to you in a text message once, um, just before. My, I'm 53 years old. My, my stepfather from the West Indies brought up three children, four children, um, and they've had multiple foster children um, all mm. their lives. They're now in their, their 70s. Um, he brought me up to have the, the type of character and person that I am today, which I'm, I'm, I can't thank him enough. I, I would lay down my life for him in a heartbeat. Um, I've seen, I, I'm 53, as I said. I came from um, Eastern St. Paul's in Bristol. Um, it was a, a predominantly black area, um, and, and there, was, there was always going to be troubles. Um, but racism yeah. back then was totally different to where, where it is now. And it's because of people like yourself that has um, – that has made that difference because um, my kids, I've got four kids, I've got four, um, four children, three sons, one, uh, one uh, daughter, I've got um, four grandchildren, and racism's totally different to them now. It's not allowed, You're, it's not something that should be accepted. So, and, and why, which is good having you on the show, and, and, and I know that you said I'm tired, I'm, I'm kind of, it's, it's, just keep going. There's a spirit that will keep you going without a shadow of doubt because what you're doing for others is, is immense. And a question that I want to ask you is, did you ever realise when you first started this that you would be dealing with the biggest people in football right now? To be honest, no, Steve. I didn't know what, the, when I joined Kick It Out, I didn't know what the journey was going to be if you wanted me to be totally honest. You know, married to that, I was still doing my coaching within the non-league circles. Um, and I was in, having my enjoyment with my own academy. So, uh, you know, I, I literally had no time to think it was nine to five or, well, it's never a nine to five at Kick It Out, I'll tell you that much, but also develop, you know, weekends of, of my football, non-league, and then my, my academy stuff. Then bit by bit, everything had to, had to stop because obviously my work increased and I became more prominent and the other things that I couldn't dedicate myself to had to stop. Um, aligned with Andres' career, my son growing and, and absolutely not wanting to miss one game of football that he was playing in. So my time, you know, that was a time that I had to, to, to share and the excitement and the, the whatever it is, that the feelings that everyone get when they watch their own children perform, you know, and that performing doesn't have to be on a football pitch, you know, it could be anywhere, you know, so that was my dedicated time. But uh, the job is all encompassing it, 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 it honestly I never thought I'd be in a position to challenge people I never thought I'd do it right to be totally honest um, but I've always been a kind of a leader I've captained my teams I've been a manager from a young age I've started my own academy so I mean you know I've got people that I'm trying to inspire so I've always been that kind of person but I, I never thought it would flourish in this manner and when I say flourish remember the difficulties that I'm dealing with but I have to respect the things that people say to me and they say to me about who I am and my message and how I'm diligent and the hard work that I'm doing and how I'm challenging. So I'm, I'm using other people's words rather than mine um, in the manner that which I am able to take phone calls from the Premier League or ring up the Premier League, the FA, and, and challenge them, you know? Um, yeah. And also develop good friendships within there. I'm not saying that it's all doom and gloom, you know, and... I have to be grateful to the Premier League because two programmes that I've told you about in regards to the education and, and the mentoring, they fund those programmes. You know, so without them, I actually don't do two thirds of my work, you know. So and then it would all just be the day to day of banging my head against a brick wall. So in answer to your question, no, I never thought I would be. But you know what? I've taken on the mantle and I'm very happy to be the voice of many who have never had a voice before. And now in this period of time, it's just great to see so many people sharing the same message and around me supporting, you know, because one thing I'll tell you, you can't do this journey alone. You can't do this work in football in challenging racism and discrimination alone. Um, and that's where Steve came into it so much for me in terms of giving me an outlet, giving me something to, to enjoy rather than the, the day to day. But, I, like I said, I've grown so many great friendships and shown so many great allies and 
and people who absolutely keep me buzzing. And I think that's what I always take when the when the times are really difficult. I know that I know that, and, and we've touched on it briefly about the racism. But and, and I I tried not to touch on it too much because of the work that you're doing is is unbelievable, and everybody's got an opinion, and 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 I know it must be tiring. And I do, do you get to a stage where you go, you know what, I, this is just too much for me. Yes, um, on a couple of occasions. This, I mean, listen, I'm the go-to person within football whenever there's a racist incident. So if you if you think of how many racist incidents there's been this season alone, that's tiring within itself. You know what I mean? And it's demanding. I've been criticised, and by the way, I take all criticism on the board on board and hold my hand up because if someone feels that I haven't done something, then I have to accept what they're saying. You know, we had a situation this season where in the English Football Championship where the Leeds United goalkeeper Casilla racially abused Charlton centre-forward Jonathan Lecco. Um, and Jonathan felt that he got no support from Kick It Out. He, he, you know, he went through a process that was six months long. He had an injury during that period of time as well. I can imagine his thought process and how he felt, but he felt that we let him down. Now, I've got another story to that, but ultimately... I'm going to listen to what's been said, you know, and absolutely take the criticism on, on the head because I know when I, my team was racially abused, I know what they went through, you know, so I've experienced it. I've felt it. I've had people that are with me that have had to experience it and, and look at me to challenge it. So, it, you know, the tiring part is the repetition. I say the same things over and over and over again because nothing changes. I highlight certain situations that people don't even know about, you know, oh, we didn't know that. And I said, well, yeah, well, you know, if you work in it the way that I do, you would know, you know, and, and I, I don't know. I, I often get to a stage where I think to myself, what am I doing? What, what am I doing? Um, and I, I do have moments where it, where it, it takes over my, my whole, my whole thought process. And it's quite, it's not quite draining. It's very draining. It's very draining and it's very emotional. Have I cried over football? I'm going to be honest with you now. I have. I've shut myself in a room and emotionally just let it all out because I feel that I'm not, and, I, and that's about, I feel that I'm not influencing enough or I feel that I'm not getting a support from within or outside enough. And, I've, and, and that's a hard thing to accept because you know what us men are like. We're, we're, all right, emotion around your family and whatever else, and no one has to see that. But I've I've emotionally broken down because of this game, and I don't have to tell anyone that. I'm not doing it for people to pat me on the back and say, "Are you all right?" I'm doing it because that's the impact of of the things that I'm dealing with, and that's the impact of of my repetitive words and and actions and 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 stuff. And when people see this, they might see me as weak. Honestly, I throw everything that I have into it, Steve. And sometimes it's at the detriment of my family, to be totally honest, because I feel that I need to be making that change. Um, I've got to be honest that when my grandchildren came along, which was only three, four years ago, and I now have, like you, four beautiful grandchildren, priorities changed a little bit. The level of work didn't, but my priorities changed because I then realised that the times that I didn't spend with my own children, because I was all consumed in football, I wanted to spend as much as I could with my with my grandchildren. So, listen, it's this game's a ro I can't explain enough what a roller coaster it is, and the fact that I've told you that I've emotionally broken down, you know, is enough to to hopefully let everyone have a little insight into how what it does as well. You are you are an inspiration. I'm telling you that now. And and the the honestly, don't you've got my number. I'm always there. I, I, we've only just recently been in contact yeah. with it. You, you are an absolute legend. And one of those things that, that I always say to people, and, and you are definitely one of those, is that, that we've all got the potential of being angels. And and hear me out on this one. Um, yeah. We've all got everybody, one of us has got an angel with them. and and uh, Or we've got the potential of being an angel. It's just that we don't sometimes realise the ability that we have got. And, and where I talk to so many different people and they, they see somebody with a little bit like, like Gerald, somebody seeing something in Gerald, something seeing something in, a, a, there's a lady called Amal. Um, she was a lady basketball um, captain for Qatar. Um, even Marion Farad. They're, they're all kind of people that, that, that have got 
they've, they've been spotted by somebody and they've been then pushed in a different direction and their life's changed. We all need those people and you're one of them. You're one of them that, that is there. And yeah, we are self-critical because we're in a position where we, we, we have to make, we have to be self-critical because we want to get better too, because we want to offer more. And, and that's the thing. And please don't, don't stop this. You're doing an amazing job. Whether your priorities change in your family and all those type of things, that's what makes you. That's what makes the difference. And I'm going to, I'm going to come off this subject slightly now because I am going to go on to your family side of things. And we will slightly talk about Andros because I saw a video of you where you were describing the screamer and the absolute screamer he scored at Manchester United. Uh, not Manchester United, sorry, Manchester United. Oh, my God, I watched that one too. And I was trying to – I watched the video first and then I watched the goal. And you must have gone mental because you, you couldn't see it. Please tell the story. Steve. When anybody, anyone outside the top six that goes to a club, you know, the champions and whatever, you don't go there in hope. Well, you do. You go there in the hope that the score is not as big and embarrassing and you haven't made the, I don't know, 450 mile trip for nothing, you know. Last two times we, we'd gone there previously, we'd lost 5-0 both times. So we're, we're going there just as long as it's free, we're all right. You know, that, that's, that's an improvement on the year before. So to go there, we were 1-0 down. We just scored to make it 1-1. This is the first half. And then Palace have got this free kick. And, and it, you're in anticipation because now we're on level pegging. We've scored at the Etihad, you know. And I, from my position, and this time I was on a lower level. Normally, when I've gone Man City, I'm on a higher level. I can see everything. So the 10 goals that Man City scored against us, I saw them all, you know. This time, we were for some reason, we were on a lower level. So you could see down the other end, but it was very, very hard to make everything out, you know. But obviously, my focus is always on Andrew. So, you know, if you put 50 people in, in, in on the pitch, I'll notice where he is, you know. And a free kick came in and I watched the ball go up. And, yeah, it's OK. And, ah, oh, we've missed it. And then the ball came out. We've missed it. And I saw the ball come out towards Andros. And I've seen him step to it. And I just thought, right, OK. And then I saw him run away. Now, I was calculating that he was about, very quickly, about 20 yards out, you know? And I'm thinking, God, how did he score? What, did it take a deflection? Did it this? And I saw the net ripple within moments. And I just thought, brilliant. But the fans, particularly the ones up there that saw it, were going absolutely mad. You go mad anyway because you're winning 2-1 at Man City. But then all of a sudden, someone's jumped on the back of me um, I'm getting punched. And when I say punch, I don't mean, phys I just mean just because of the, the, the joy of people. There's people going, did you see that? And I'm going, I, I, I didn't really see it. I don't know. I, don't, I know he scored. So I'm happy anyway. We're jumping up and down. So I'm trying to get a signal. It was not long before half time. I'm trying to get a signal on my phone so I can get onto Twitter, which obviously is the first base of all information, to try and see the goal. And it kept... The video kept running until the point of contact, and then it would stop. So I couldn't, I couldn't watch it properly. So everyone's going, "What a goal! What a!" And I'm like, "Yeah, really." I'm, I'm trying to enjoy it with them, you know, without really enjoying it as such. But to be fair, any time he scores, it's just unbelievable. Anyway, then I finally got a signal. I don't know when it. I think it was just after half time. I was like, "Oh my god!" But the second half had started, Steve. So we've gone back to being nervous. Because we're 2-1 up and we think, don't give this. And, and there were people around me saying, I don't care if we lose now. I don't care. We can lose. It doesn't matter. We've scored the greatest goal ever. Then we'd done a silly thing and went 3-1 up. And Andrus was involved in that as well. He, he, it was a cross from the right-hand side. He headed it and it hit the post. And in some ways, Andrus doesn't hit the ball. So it actually would have been a better goal from four yards out than the one that he hit from 30 <laughs> yards out. But we got a penalty from it. We've scored. We're now in dreamland. We are absolutely over the moon. We're three one up, half an hour to go at the Etihad. My daughter can't watch the game. She's got a back turned to the pitch. I'm going, turn round. No, no, I can't watch. We're going to give it away. I can't. No, I can't. Turn round and what? No, no, no. Anyway, I think Man City scored. Kevin De Bruyne scored with about four minutes to go and five minutes stoppage time. Honestly, the nine, ten minutes that was is the longest nine, ten minutes ever in the world. 
And then when the final whistle went, and my focus is always on Andrus near the final whistle, and he was on, he was near the ball, and he just sunk to his knees. And it's kind of the thing that I think we all wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? We've actually done it. And then you could start recalling the goal again. You know, you all of a sudden now, the victory, and you start recalling. And honestly, Steve, I've watched it 2 million and 55 times because I'm keeping a counter. And I'll watch it another 2 million. It's, I mean, to be fair, he scores spectacular goals. He, it, It's one of. And the week before, two weeks before, he scored an absolute cracker at home against Burnley. Absolute cracker. So both goals were in goal of the, the month and he finished first and second with the two goals. But but just being there, just, you know, being in the stadium, being, all right, not seeing it in the way that I wanted to see it, but just being in the stadium and, and, and you know, feeling the, the whole... I, I, this I, Honestly, football is just absolute different thing, you know? And obviously I've got an emotional connection to it as well. And that's probably why my heart probably is older than what I am, you know? But it's it's just an amazing thing. There's, there's been many, many significant moments watching Andros and, you know, scoring a goal on his England debut where I was right in front of and I saw all of it and I captured the celebration. Scoring on his Tottenham debut, you know, where fans of Spurs, those things, I, if you ask me, Steve, I could walk you through all of them. Because yeah. they stay with you, you know. So yeah, that Man City one was just a thing of beauty, but something that actually I didn't really see properly. So, you know, I'll take all the glory through watching it over and over again. I knew that what the result was going to be. I knew he was going to score, but even when the <laughs> ball came out and he was going to volley it, I thought to myself, he's never going to score from that. Surely, and he's volley it. <laughs> it was it was a treat. it was a treat to watch, and, and he must be. What you've done for him as well to be able to go to those games. I can remember back to people coming to my games, like family, and and it made so much. It, it just did. So that must be a, a, a magnificent thing from that, your, Steve, his dad. Let me, let me just say, and we go as a family, but let me just say, it's everything that I didn't have as I was growing. You know, the game that I loved, the game that I wanted to, you know, achieve in, the game that I wanted to be the professional footballer in. I mean, my dad left us at a very young age. My mum was working all the hours under the sun. They never, ever watch me play football. Never. And I think if there's anything that would have, I can't say it for gospel, but just having your family there, looking to the touchline, you know, knowing that the ones that you love are watching you play the game that you love is a massive boost for any individual. Um, and we've always been part of our children's journey, you know, because I think it's really important to know that they've got safe pair of hands and eyes watching I just, I, I can't even express it more than enough, but it's just a safe pair of hands and eyes, you know? And and um, you just don't give that safe pair of hands to your family. You, you're giving it to everybody. And that's, that's magnificent. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to finish on, on a subject that I just wanted to get your, your opinion before we finish. Cause we, it's gone so quickly, right? I can't believe it's gone so quick. Um, Sorry. I've talked too much. Sorry. Oh, you're brilliant. Honestly, you're brilliant. And, and what an inspiration. And it's, it's brilliant. Um, what do you think about this football now behind closed doors? I was on, I, I had an interview or a press release with La Liga and I got to Mandieta. I was asking questions to Mandieta, okay. which was I couldn't believe myself. I had to pinch myself. All the time. Um, but what do you think about this football now behind doors and what they're doing with the speakers and the fans and the chants? Steve, I was negative before, you know, because the fans are the essence of the game, you know, they're, and you'll ask any player, and, you know, playing football without fans is going to be an unbelievable experience, you know, and, and not in a positive, to be totally honest. And I was critical before, but you know what, we're in, we're in unprecedented times, you know, we're in times that actually, over here in England, we've lost 40,000 lives, you know, so nothing is more important than those lives. I didn't think we should be returning to football until we got to a stage when there was zero lives lost anymore, you know, and, but they are, they're out there. They've got to get on with it. I, I'm not a fan, but it doesn't matter what I think. Mine, mine is just a personal opinion, but, and I haven't watched any football, you know, the German league's been back on, isn't it? And I haven't watched the German league, but then someone said to me, listen to the crowd noise. It, it makes the experience so much better. So I switched over for two minutes listen to a bit of crowd noise, it actually did make the experience so much better. And uh, nothing's ever going to replicate, you know, because football is a very, very emotional game. 
and the fans play their essence in that emotion, you know? And, you know, when you the reason you score a goal and run over to your fans is because you want to them to appreciate the goal and you want you want them to share in that moment, you know? So running over to cardboard cutouts is never going to be the same. But it's what we're going to have to do. It's a new it's a new norm, you know, for I don't know how long. I don't think until 2021, to be honest. But, we'd, you know, we're just going to have to put up with it and hopefully everyone stays safe that has to go into a stadium, the players, the staff, the media, and they can put on a spectacle that us fans will enjoy. Troy, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour having you on the show. I can't wait to show you um, hospitality in 2022. And please, yes. when you come over, I will show you all the hospitality I can offer. Thank Amazing, you very much for coming Steve. on the show. Thank you absolute so much for pleasure. coming on. You shared with us some stuff today that was was um, was fantastic for me, it, it, and not, I don't want to say fantastic, but um, yeah, quite touching, r really touching, and it's it's kind of it brings back all memories in my mind. So thank you very much for sharing. It was an absolute privilege. Pleasure from my end, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it, and hopefully I can be an inspiration to to a new set of of, of people now, you know, right across the globe. So really appreciate that. Next one is your friend Jurgen Klopp. I've seen you going on a few times with him now. Let's, let's go and tell him I'm a good guy, okay? <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool here is just one of the biggest teams for supporters-wise. It's kind of it's huge you know, here. They're an amazing football club behind the scenes. They had a reputation before, um, you know, Luis Suarez back in 2011 and the support of Luis Suarez after a racial incident, but. The owners, the 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 fan, well, I say the fans, the the people, Jurgen, the players, they're on message, you know, and they're trying to change the past and, and create a brighter future, you know, for that football club. And when they finally do clinch that trophy, you know, for the for the first time in thirty years, and I know it won't be the same, but it'll be an unbelievable feeling. And I'd like to think now that I played a small part in that by giving Jurgen the boost to make sure that they go and do it, you know. But um, yeah, no, unbelievable football club. I've got to be honest, and I'm not a Liverpool fan, you know. But just having the people in there, some connects I've got in there now, and uh, hearing what they're doing, it, 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 you know, they, they deserve everything they get. That football club. Listen, I'm not a Crystal Palace fan, but I'll be watching them next time. <laughs> Thank you so I appreciate much. Appreciate that. Absolutely, Steve. Listen, I want to know when he scores a screamer again. It was a pleasure to work good on you. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Troy. Cheers, Steve. Take care. Thanks for having me. Take care. Everybody, I'm glad you. I hope you enjoyed the show today. It's been amazing with with Troy. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for watching. See you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>